right. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. So a brief overview of this evening's episode will include the intros and hellos, followed by a triple junction and new news. Our main discussion tonight will dive into things, all things mining and ore deposits and some environmental concerns that we are going to bring to the table. Between the bars of our main discussion, we present to you another Mineral Minute. And before signing off, we will close things off with another new and improved That Freaking Rocks. That Freaking Rocks. <laughs> Maybe. No, I, don't, I think I think we're struggling this <laughs> <Yeah>. week. <laughs> okay, so a big thank you to all our listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs each week and for spending your time with us. If you'd like to reach out to us, whether it be for episode ideas, uh, like, oh, why do I keep saying these things? <laughs> questions you're wanting, questions, or just to tell us about all the times we were wrong, you can reach us at geologyotr at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram at Geology on the Rocks podcast. So it looks like as if things are squared away over here, Mr. Baggins. So without further ado, to all of you over there, I am your host, James the Geologist. And I'm Brian Baggins. And this, this is, is Geology on, on the Rocks. Rocks. Well, hey, man. Hey. Well, let's just cheers, cheers it off the top. We're two for two now. Like we haven't, yeah. I haven't, I'm almost done editing last week's episode, yeah, but yeah. two weeks in a row that we're doing this. So I know. We're, give us we're, a little bit lead I think that means we're officially back. We're back, baby. Yeah. yeah. And then, but that also means that we're already four episodes into the season and it, yeah, it's, it but does. it kind of feels fragmented, right? A little bit. A little bit. We expected to be further along, but we talked about it last time. How Yeah. Life gets in the way. I mean, I think, September I think we're still trying to get our bearings straight when yeah. I guess, especially when it comes to our, um, I guess that freaking rock topic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I fell through the roof on that one. I should have reached out to local bands, but yeah, maybe no local bands listen to us. But it's niche enough. It is. So we'll figure it out. I'm, we're still we still have people tuning in each week. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, like I think we're up to like almost twenty five thousand downloads. Oh, nice, nice catch. I caught a fly <laughs> in my hand. Yeah, yeah. Like I was surprised. I was like, man, we haven't put anything out in like six weeks. But I was like, there's no way. So we're probably still gonna be at like I don't know, like nineteen thousand. And I was like, whoa. No, yeah. Uh, I mean, some people are just now finding us. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. But yeah. we made it to episode 38. We did. I do. I'm so excited for like 12 more. I want to be 50. I do want to be 50. I want to do 50. on here. Not, yeah. Not in. Not in real life. No. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that, that's freaking me out. Like, let's, let's just not talk about it. Yeah. We're old. Okay. So here's just a story since we're in like 38. So that's how old I'll be uh, coming up in March. I keep forgetting. Uh, you don't seem older than me. But you are. But I'm not that much. Well, how old are you? I'm 36. Yeah. So I'm 37. So it's not that. Oh, Okay. Yeah, you're, you're about, about to, to be. Yeah, in March. In March, I'll be. I'll be but so what was it? My I was 32 for two years in my head. Like I didn't <laughs> like I forgot. I guess I didn't forget, but I just didn't register that I was 33. I thought yeah. like I, I thought I was 32, but I thought I was turning 32 until Angela. She was like, oh, what are you going to do for your 34th birthday? I'm like, what are you talking? I'm be 33. She's like, no, <laughs> you're 33 right now. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm 32. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. So in essence, I skipped my whole 33rd year. Yeah. In my head. Mentally. Maybe you're a Freemason and you're really the 33rd order. Oh yeah, maybe. And so you just stay there. I don't know what that means. They're, it's like the highest. Oh, is it? Is like, the, like one of the, the secret, zenith? Yeah, the yeah, apex. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder how you get so. into that. Let's not find out because I don't think you can leave. What the Freemasons? Yeah. Oh, really? Something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I just think it'd be cool to. Yeah, yeah. But well, then I guess that was the intros and hellos. I don't. Um, Triple Junction, I guess it's been, I guess since we haven't been putting stuff out, people haven't really been, uh, yeah, haven't been too like chatty chatty, but any misspeaks, I don't know. I haven't done, I'm not done editing the last one. So there's always going to be something. <laughs> I feel like it's impossible to know everything about yeah. everything. Oh, yeah. Like today, it's, today's a today fun, will be, today is fun. But you promised us <laughs> last week 
I did. About urinating or potty training. <laughs> urinating on cows. <laughs> no, so potty training yeah. animals. So okay. I'm going to cue you up a little bit of this. All right. So you can lead a cow to a water closet, uh, but can you make it pee there? I don't know. It turns out, James, yes, you can. Mm. Uh, researchers in Germany, they successfully potty trained cows to use a small fenced in area um, with artificial turf flooring as a bathroom stall. Yeah. So that way they could, the farmers could easily capture and treat cow urine, which it has a lot of ammonia in it, right? Yes. Um, and it pollutes the air, water, and soil. And so they're like, we got to figure this out. Granted, they only did this with like a few. Okay. Right? Like, um, so well, just a little, little facts here. The average cow can pee tens of liters per day and there's about a billion cow cattle or so yeah. <laughs> worldwide. So in barns, cow pee typically mixes with poop on the floor and it creates a slurry. And that's where all like the main ammonia. Yeah. And sits. that's real bad for the oh, environment yeah. too. Absolutely. Especially on, on that level of, of how many. Okay. Not to derail from your, your story, but I was listening to something on the radio about how they uh, take all of that slurry that's <laughs> that's rich in ammonia and what they do to take away all the ammonia they vaporize it by this plasma machine so then it can be dried and used for fertilizer so wow yeah okay so, but <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know that just can you imagine gathering the slurry like whose job is that i don't i, <laughs> I don't know well anyways they potty trained <laughs> 16 of these calves. And so basically what they're realizing is that, or how they did it was they would position the calves in a hallway leading to the stall. Yeah. And if the animals visited the little cow's room <laughs> and they went there, they got a treat. But if they See, peed in the hallway, <laughs> they sprayed them. I don't know if they're like with hoses or what, or I don't know. But I don't know. Uh, they okay. Wait, actually, they had only eleven out of sixteen trained. Okay, so I guess. But that's know, still that's not bad. But I, they're cows. Yeah, but if it was going to become a widespread practice to actually make a difference, it'd have to be automated. So I don't know. We may see that cows have, have potties from now on. Man, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what that would look like in application. Could you imagine like as you're on your way to Amarillo, you know, just <laughs> that, God, I just remember going to, to field camp and just oh, smelling yeah. that, it's so that disgusting. I don't know, probably like 10 miles before we even got into the town. Yeah, it was terrible. But then just, yeah, that's, but 10 million, I mean, you said, you said billions of uh, cattle, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's and that's a lot of ammonia because they they do that's about because and like, methane yeah the, so they the yeah they're farts isn't it like the the males that cause it I don't I'm know. sure that's what yeah yeah well well there you well, go there you go <laughs> we we promised you uh, potty training uh, cows <laughs> 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 no so that's that's pretty cool well it kind of takes us into uh, <laughs> our our talk today how. like the well the the runoff and okay yeah, the ammonia yeah, yeah. You're it's right, kinda, you're that's right. a base yeah. but. NH4, right? No, NH3. 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 Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So today what we wanted to do is wanted to chat to y'all a little about ore deposits up front. And then kind of on the back half of the episode, we're going to jump into some of the environmental concerns and dangers of mining, uh, right, of, of all of these ores and such things. Yeah. There's many types of ore deposits that occur and, and they all have somewhat a unique, unique way of forming uh, if we're talking geologically. But yeah, today we're going to keep it concise-ish. Kind <laughs> and, of. We're going to try and yeah. keep the blinders on. Yeah. And discuss just um, a relatively common ore deposit type. Yeah. And I think we're going to um, 
with this type, we're going to talk about scarns. <laughs> yes, uh, scarn is a word. And it's not just uh, a made up pirate sound that some of you, I'm probably sure, thinking of what you heard when I heard scarn. 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 Oh, gosh, scarn, scarn it. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so, a little history lesson about scarns. So, although there are earlier descriptions of deposits now known to contain scarn, the first published use of this term scarn is by it's his name is Turnabom in 1875. So among several excellent descriptions is the following from one of his writings. And let me let me just cue this up because Brian, he was just like, man, I really want to 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 do this description. So. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Or should it probably be something like. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I quote. (laughs) Sassum. Under ordinate locker e uritin for trousers i des false bat fatty guard varietar you me try a line up trotter all right visa eigen dom liga morka bergarter son so much better utagora al malmernas egne liga clifes you're reading it like Russian. Russian. No, I'm trying to do it with like a Swedish accent. I don't know. So this was translated thusly yeah. by the Thorborn Bergman of the University of Stockholm in 1992 and a translation as subordinate layers in the feldspar poor felsic volcanic rocks. There appear peculiar dark rocks, which are also are the ores host rock. These rocks are mm-hmm. in the, the, the Pearsburg area, denoted scarn, a, a word which likely can be used as a collective term for all of such odd rocks occurring along the ores. <laughs> so really, he goes on to describe the garnet-rich brunscarn, which is brown mm. scarn, and pyroxene-rich grunscarn, mm. yeah. which is uh, green scarn. Yeah. Well, this kind of sounds like a, like a, I guess, you know, a uh, Icelandic kind of yeah. No, I'm not. I mean, I guess what's the the term Scandinavian? Well, that, th- that sounds German to me. So I oh, don't those know. words? No. Yeah. Sasum under nada. Well, not those, but Brun. I don't remember. Oh well, yeah. yeah, Brun. But I guess they're all like kind of yeah. But Brauna. Brauna. It's like B A B R A U. You yeah yeah. Brun skirt. Skirt. Maybe it's Holland. All right, well, scarns, they're going to be coarse grain metamorphic rocks composed of calcium, iron, magnesium, manganese, aluminum silicate minerals. And we're just usually as geologists, we shorten this to be calc silicates. Yeah. Yeah. In simplest terms, they form by replacement of carbonate bearing rocks during contact or regional metamorphism and metasomatism, which is a fancy word for chemical alteration or compositional and mineralogic transformations due to fluids. Those will usually be hydrothermal. Yeah. Um, when when those fluids invade the protolith. Yeah, and that protolith being? Well, we, we're going to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. So I also <laughs> think, like, again, like uh, the marine environments, too, where you have, like, subduction or the, mm-hmm. the kind of hydrothermal going on or the meteoric waters around geysers. So anyways, yeah. sometimes scarns can be barren, like the old hags. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> <laughs> 
We're not. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone out there, so I apologize. So sometimes scarns can be barren, as in not interesting to the greedy capitalists, but many <laughs> contain metals with the economic value. So they're, they're really important sources of base and precious metals, such as, well, well, here we go. Let's, hmm. I got, let's do this. Let's test your periodic table knowledges as Mr. Brian. All right. All so right. I'm going to say the elemental syllable symbol, and you're going to tell me the element that I am speaking of. <clears throat> Okay, so first off, we have S N ten, ten, T N. So W tungsten, huh? huh. F E iron. Okay, A U gold, C U copper, P B lead, Z N zinc, M O molybdenum, Molly, <laughs> Molly. So I would I did I, I pass? That's, that's impressive, man. Hold on, hold on. Let's give you a little bit of. Thank you. So you're Thank like you. the periodic table rain man over here. <laughs> that was pretty yes, good. Yes, that was pretty good. Okay, so we mentioned metamorphism. We did. And these rocks have been relatively, uh, have relatively high temperature mineral deposits related to magmatic hydrothermal activity. And they're associated with granitic plutons in orogenic tectonic settings. Okay. Um, so basically, scarns form when granitoid magmas will intrude sedimentary strata that are usually carbonates. Right, right. Then really this isochemical contact metamorphism during the, the pluton emplacement, you get this prograde metasomatic scarn formation as the pluton cools. And then this, this ore fluid develops and retrograde alteration of earlier formed mineral assemblages are the, the general setting for good ore formations in these scarns themselves. Yeah, and scarns, they're typically zoned mineralogically uh, with respect to pluton context. But other factors that'll control the zoning are going to be original lithology and strata of the host rocks and then fluid pathways. Right, right. There, there's that but again, yeah. or rather <laughs> other factors, if you will, because I, mean, I think later on too, we talk about other factors. But yeah. however, so in many cases, these scarns are emplaced and associated with other types of magmatic hydrothermal deposits. So they, they can often be expected to be really this intermediate zone between porphyry deposits in the center of a mining district and the, really this peripheral zones of a polymetallic vein deposit. Right. Classification of scarns will be due to protolith and then whatever the most economically important metals that are present. So a calcic scarn would be formed from a limestone protolith, whereas a magnesium scarn would have a dolomite. Right, with. right, because the uh, the what so is CaCO three for limestone? Then is it Mg two MgCa two two CO three? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, because you have that replacement. And it's kind of weird yeah. how that, yeah, okay. So, but then you have these cool things called exoscarns and endoscarns. So it sounds more like a, a biological term, if you ask me. But <laughs> yeah. you know, Greta's not here; yeah, she's probably not say. listening. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the the most economic scarns are are present in exoscarns, which form in carbonate rock that hosts a mineralizing intrusion. And then these endoscarns are variably developed on the intrusion side of intrusion raw wall, raw walk. Y'all wrong. Y'all raw. Okay. So intrusion sides of intrusion wall rock contacts where fluid is concentrated at really this interface between the two. Right. Yeah. And you can have scarns of other parrot rocks. I know where we said usually it's carbonates, but, um, for instance, some host rocks can be chert. Okay. Dacite, andesite, basalt. So that little, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, and then you can have phyllite, quartzite, and amphibolite. So um, those are other metamorphic rocks. Yeah, yeah. And so 
you know, a well-known scarn at the Beale Mountain in uh, mining district in Montana. It's a gold scarn, and the oh, gold. Oh yeah, you? let's let's go. Let's oh, go. oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I always think of like Aju, like yeah. Oh. I don't oh. know what I think of AU. Yeah, that's probably AU. Uh, <laughs> but so the gold, it's entirely in this calc silicate bearing hornfells, um, in clastic. Quartz rich host rocks. Yeah, so that's why I, I think the hornfells are probably my least favorite. They're rock. so boring. It's just like yeah, it's like, like mud rock that's hot. It gets yeah. heated up because it, yeah. it, it's usually yeah, and then and, it, and it's not really like to me. I, I only get excited about like zeolites and like really high pressure metamorphic rocks. Hey, you know what? Oh, I, this is just completely out of the blue. I I was looking through this book the other day and it was going from zeolites to anal seamate. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I know oh, that one. Man, yep. But anyways, okay. So anyways, we digress. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so the, the the ore minerals may be present in massive, like the, the stratiform vein and or disseminated forms. So <laughs> ore will be present in sulfide mineral zones, oxide zones, and in supergene clay-rich oxidized zones. So that's where the anal semi yeah. will be formed. Yep. Uh, sulfide minerals and gold, they're generally deposited during late retrograde alteration. So it's characterized by these hydrous calcilicates. Yeah. Um, they're best developed along faults, uh, cutting through earlier ore assemblages. And that makes me think of that endoscarn yeah. kind of scenario. But you'd also likely, in, most likely, find uh, gold with the late pyrite. Hey, you. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, late <laughs> pyrite and quartz assemblages. Yeah, so it's cool. We're going to be talking about pyrite here in a little bit. But yeah. if we look at this as in a, like a, I guess, a geologic setting and how we would describe it geologically, right? So mm-hmm. one good example of a gold scar and it comes to mind is the Crown Jewel in Washington. Mm, yeah. So this uh, gold scar and mineralization at the Crown Jewel deposit was discovered in 1988. And then the current reserves stand at 8.7 metric tons, averaging really the six. 6.0 grams per ton of IU gold <laughs> for a total of 52 tons of gold, although the deposits really here is still in a protracted permitting phase. Scarn is mostly close. <laughs> Scarn is most closely associated with the Cretaceous Buckhorn Mountain granodiorite. Um, and a series of granodiorite porphyry dikes that have been interpreted as code Genetic? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the main granodiorite pluton, it's quite reduced and contains primary ilmenite. Um, it has, and that, that one always like confused me, like at the very beginning, ilmenite, like yeah. back in mineralogy, I was like, it's like kind of magnetic, but not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, it has a diuretic border phase that's going to be more mafic, um, less silicic, but, but with similar alkalis relative to the central core. Um, and so I don't know who Hickey is. <laughs> I don't know. We just, um, a particular study yeah. <laughs> attributed the relatively high alkali content of the diorite border phase, um, to alteration. Okay. And the, the diorites can be cut by garnet veins with pyroxene envelopes. We talked about both of those earlier. Although pervasive endoscarn alteration only occurs in some of the smaller dikes and sills. Yeah, and really, I I, I think the, the the stratigraphy and the structure of the host rocks at Crown Jewel are not well understood due to poor exposures and really a regional metamorphic shearing event that predates the mm. scarn formation itself. 
So the, the, the shearing may be related, they think, to the development of nystomes in the, in the Okanagan Highlands. Although um, that study that, that, that we read that none of the scarns have been affected by the shearing. For example, there's no strain or defamation, deformation on the mm. scarn minerals yeah. themselves. Rocks in the district that have been affected by alteration and mineralization can be divided into distinct groups, and that's going to be a lower unit containing calcareous siltstone, sandstone, and a minor shale, and a limestone has been converted to marble, and then an upper unit containing shale, minor siltstone, sandstone, and then a distinct chirp pebble conglomerate. Okay. These units, they're thought to correlate with a Paleozoic anarchist formation. What a formation name, right? Yeah, it, uh, just, it <laughs> just says, I don't want any rules. Yeah, yeah. Structurally overlying the anarchist is the the Permo-Triassic Cobau. <laughs> Cobau! It doesn't stop. Cobau formation. And it's going to consist of, here we go, andesitic volcanic rocks with shale and volcanoclastic interbeds. Yeah. And yeah. then distal alteration was shown, especially in the agrolicious and clastic units, consist of biotite and pyroxene hornfells. The gross things, yeah. But the, <laughs> yeah, the muddy clastic units. So the 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 closer to intrusive contacts where fluid pathways, these minerals become coarser grained, and pyroxene replaces the biotite. Mm. So in the what they saw in the more calcareous rocks and the limestone, the earlier distal biotite and pyroxene hornfells are going to be replaced by the garnets. So some of the, the the rocks behaved in a brittle fashion, allowing pyroxene formation such that veins and breccias are cemented by brown garnet. That'd wow. be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, close to intrusive contacts, limestone's completely replaced by a massive garnet and magnetite. That would be really pretty to see as yeah. well. Uh, this zonation, it's going to be mirrored by an iron enrichment in pyroxene with most of the distal pyroxene approaching pure Hedenbergite in composition. Retrograde alteration at Crown Jewel, it's relatively coarse grained and it's going to consist of epidote, amphibole, zoocyte, calcite, and quartz. Yeah, and then so then we get into the sulfides are going to be associated with retrograde alteration and with massive magnetite. So the, what, the MG203? Magnetite? No, MG3. MG Three hundred four. Yeah, yeah. So then the magnetite pyrite uh, occurs as <laughs> veins cutting garnet close to the granodiorite, as well as the massive replacement of the marble. So in in places, the magnetite is abundant enough to have been mined on a very small scale in the past, although it is it's not of economic importance at the present time. Pyrotite. <laughs> I never can say that one. I think it's just like pyrotite. Pyrotite. Let's just say it like that. Yeah, it's gonna be the most abundant sulfide mineral by far. Um, and it ref reflecting basically that overall reduced nature of the, the protolith, the pluton and the scarn mineralogy, um, other sulfides are going to be, you know, your your pyrites, marcosite, chalcopyrite, bismuthinite, cobaltite, native gold, hey you, native bismuth, and arsenopyrite. Iron ass. Yeah. No, that's the. Uh, oh yeah, iron it is ass. Iron ass. Yeah, yeah, because the realgar is the ass. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Arsenopyrite is <laughs> is only abundant in the relatively impermeable and brittle chert pebble conglomerates, and then as with most reduced gold scarns, the the bismuth minerals are strongly associated with gold mineralization. Crown Jewel, it's 
it's a little unusual in that the coarse grain bismuthinite is easily visible in the drill core, and it's an excellent indicator of that ore grade gold, which is not visible at the hand specimen level. Right on. So the bismuth gold association is substantiated by assays of drill core composites. Yeah, and then those fluids associated with scar formation and the mineralization at Crown Jewel were high temperature saline brines. So um, in the report, there was a abundant large halite daughter minerals in the plutonic quartz, but wow. did not find daughter minerals in the very small inclusions present in those scarred minerals. Mm. Primary field, primary fluid inclusions in pyroxene homogenized from 365 to 450 degrees Celsius, whereas those in the in garnet, they homogenized from 300 to 370 degrees Celsius. And two salinity determinations from uh, fluid inclusions in garnet yielded values of 19 and 22 equal weight percent. E- equal weight percent uh, in ACL. Yeah. And, um, oh yeah, fluid inclusions in epidote and amphibole yielded slightly lower homogenization temperatures of 255 to 320 degrees Celsius and 315 uh to 350 degrees Celsius, respectively, for that retrograde alteration. Yeah, so based on an assumed depth of about four kilometers at the time of the intrusion and scarring formation, um, it was determined an average lithostatic pressure corrected temperatures for the garnet pyroxene scarns at, I guess, roughly around 460, 65 degrees Celsius. And then really the, the, the quartz veins that cut the garnet pyroxene scarns have similar homogenization temperatures with a wider range of salinity from 2 to 24 equal weights percent of uh, sodium chloride. But I know that was a mouthful. And uh, and I say before uh, we get too far into things, you want to do a little bit of... Mineral. There's so many minerals? Mineral. 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 All right, and this week's Mineral Minute is brought to you by the radioactive copper copper urinal <laughs> phosphate mineral, metatorburnite. Metatorburnite. Chemi- chemical formula is CuO2, 2PO4, 2, and 8H2O. Yeah, dihydrogen oxygen. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. The, the metatorburnite is a pale green to dark in color mineral. Metatorburnite is has a subadamantine, subvitreous, resinous, waxy to pearly luster. And this metatorburnite has a hardness of 2.5 and a specific gravity of 3.52 to 3.70 measured. Metatorburnite was named in 1916 by Arthur Francis Alamond in honor of Torben Olaf. <laughs> Bergman of Katrinburg, Sweden, and for Meta for its low lower hydration level and its relationship to torbernite. Yeah. yeah. So we can say Meta Torbernite, Torbernite, but I, I read it as me tater burnite. <laughs> <laughs> me tater burnite has specific yeah. cleavage on the 001 and is indistinct <laughs> on the 010. <laughs> now I can't read it any other way. <laughs> me tater burnite. Me tater burnite. Has an honor having. What's the honor? <laughs> Has the honor of having. Having co type localities, one being Schneeberg. <laughs> what is that? Jersey Burgers Christ. <laughs> <laughs> 
Saxony, Germany. I'd say Erzger Burgers Christ. Say that again. Erzger Burgers Christ. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. And then the second one for the Mutator Burr Night. And uh, is Red Ruth Cornwall, England, UK. Yeah. Nice. Meta Torburnite is uniaxial negative with moderate surface relief and weak pleochrism. The Metator Burnite is part of the tetragonal crystal system and belongs to the forum dipyramidal crystal class. Meta Torburnite's morphology occurs commonly as paramorphs after torbonite square tabular crystals flattened on the 001 and modified by 011 in laminar lamellar or subparallel to sheaf-like aggregates rosettes yeah then metator burnite crystals exhibit mirohedral twinning and is a product of secondary weathering of uranium bearing deposits whoa <laughs> that was a slip yeah <clears throat> Stay tuned for next week's mineral coffinite. Hey, that's kind of fitting that it's oh, almost Halloween. Halloween. Mineral. Halloween. <laughs> mineral minutes. All right. Yeah. So then, oh man. So we went rock heavy that time. Like we went really geology. Yeah. For a little bit. So I'm hopefully people could. I bet you. In I don't know. I don't want to speak for people, but I'm sure they were just like, what happened y'all just <laughs> y'all went straight from cows peeing to scarn <laughs> mineralogy yeah it was fun yeah this is my i love that yeah 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 but if, now if, if you can make sense of it yeah i mean you would to you would probably need to have a petrology course under your belt yeah maybe but i don't know so or maybe, not or not you could probably if it's if you're just mining but so yeah, so a little bit into the, um, I guess, the byproducts of that. So we started talking about some of those, um, I guess, really those sulfide minerals, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about the environmental concerns associated with mining. So the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, so the the states and the federal land management agencies all need a really better tools to manage acid mining <coughs> or the, 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 yeah, the acid mine drainage at mine sites. So... Um, what we present to you in the following uh, talks, we'll, we'll be examining acid forming processes at mine sites and then get into some of the active mining sites and sites of Superfund National Priorities List. And we hope to just overall further the really the environmental discussion. <laughs> so we're just more aware about all things. So all the things, Brunster Braggins. <laughs> Braggins? <laughs> oh, that, that just came out. <laughs> now I know how you feel about it. Uh, you all the things, Mr. The Geologist. <laughs> yeah, James. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so really, so this is some, dude, it just slipped out. It wasn't, I wasn't personally getting another drink after that one. So this is really something that I was fairly not really well versed in. And I'm glad that we're getting this really this chance to discuss this topic a little bit in greater detail, you know, because I feel like, yeah, you can go ahead and pour me up. So in our investigations of all this, so our discussion begins with the formation of acid mine drainage. So I'm sure, you know, I I think that this really came about as we had, um, was it Wes? I think that was his name. He was like, oh, I thought this was when you talked about AMD. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to be like acid mineage draining. <clears throat> and actually, when you first mentioned it to me, that's what I thought of. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and it was because I was studying for the PG, I think that. Yeah. Or, I don't know if it was. That was a huge part of the test. And that, and that was a huge Mr. Braggins. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a PG. Hey, barely. <laughs> no, not barely. Okay. You're killing it, man. You're killing it. <laughs> so the formation of... <laughs> 
mine acid drainage and the contaminants associated with it. It's been described by some of the largest environmental, by some as the largest environmental problem facing the U.S. mining industry, which is not us just saying that. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, right. It's coming from some of the largest U.S. government agencies. Yeah, and it's referred commonly referred to as acid rock drainage, the yeah. ARD, or acid mine drainage, AMD. And then the it's this acid drainage from the mine waste rock tailings and mine structures such as pits and underground workings um, are is primarily a function of the mineralogy of the rock material <laughs> and the availability of water, oxygen, (laughs) water and oxygen. Yeah, because mineralogy and other factors affecting the potential for AMD formation are are highly variable from site to site. Predicting the potential for AMD, it's really difficult. It can be costly and it can be questionable as far as how reliable it is. Yeah. The U.S. Forest Service, they see the absence of acid prediction technology, especially in the context of new mining ventures, as one of the major problems facing the future of metal mining in the Western U.S. Yeah, and then really this acid mine drainage from coal and mineral mining operations is a difficult and uh, how you alluded to a costly problem. So in the eastern United States, more than 7,000 kilometers of streams are affected by acid drainage from coal mines. And then in the western U.S., the Forest Service estimates that between 20,000 to 50,000 mines are currently generating acid on Forest Service lands. And then that drainage from these mines, right, is the, the issue is impacting between 8,000 to 16,000 kilometers of streams. Yeah, and if that wasn't bad enough, in addition to the acid contribution to surface waters, uh, AMD may cause metals such as arsenic, cadmium, copper, silver, and zinc to leach from mine waste. And this metal load causes environmental damage, and it's you know of greater concern than acidity in environmental terms. Yeah, so this is, uh, so it's releasing all of these heavy metals into the water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. And then the the AMD prediction tests are increasingly relied upon to assess the long-term potential of acid generation. So this concern has developed because of the lag time at existing mines between waste emplacement and observations of an acid drainage problem. And then this issue really being of long-term or perpetual care of acid drainage at historic mines and then some active minds really have focused attention on the need for improving prediction methods and for early assessment of the potential during this really exploratory phase of mine development. Wastes that have the potential to generate acid as a result of metal mining activity include the mine mineral material, such as spent ore from heap leach operations, uh, tailings, and waste rock units, including overburden material. Yeah, and then then really, while, while not waste or waste management units, the pit walls in the cases of surface mining operations and then the underground workings associated with the underground mines and subgrade or ore piles also have the potential to generate this AMD. Yeah, as mineralogy and size variables change the ability to predict the acid potential, it becomes quite difficult. Right. Waste rock piles, subgrade ore piles, when left, they're both characterized by wide variations in mineralogy and particle size. Yeah, right. And then so why that's important is and then the, the changes in these variables appear to influence the drainage water quality. So the, mm-hmm. the coarse grain materials really allows for air circulation with the porosity. And then, however, fine grain material exposes more surface area to oxidation. Yeah, studies done in British Columbia mines, they show 
Drainage water quality from waste rock piles at, at several mines have demonstrated wide variability. Research at these sites, it focused on variables affecting the frequency of acid effluent observed in permit-related monitoring. monitoring. Yeah. And the, the results reflect the diurnal and seasonal fluctuations in drainage quality as well as the variation in mineralogy and particle size common to waste rock piles. Yeah, so what they see is in contrast, draining drainage from tailings and impoundments are more likely to carry a more uniform contaminant load due to their more uniform mineralogy and texture. And we can look at and compare acid rock drainage factors of waste rock piles and tailings, uh, tailings and so if like you look down at this little thing, like we can see sulfide sources, the <coughs> particle size, like they say, we see that that pH, yeah. right, is going to, right, so that's basically what an acid is, is that the hydrogen in it, right? So yeah, so basically it's important to note that the, the diffusion of oxygen into waters is slow, and then therefore oxidation of iron sulfides is inhibited until the water levels drop, which can occur periodically or seasonally in some cases. And then really, so again, mine drainage refers to any surface water or groundwater that drains from an active or abandoned mining operation as per the USGS. And then mine, mine drainage can be of high quality, similar to that of natural waters or contaminated by leftover materials. Yeah, polluted mine drainage, it can be extremely acidic and it's often laden with high concentrations of topic, toxic heavy metals. In general, the more acidic the water, the more likely it is to be harmful to living organisms. Um, in no. Main, right? <laughs> main or mine drainage <laughs> oh my god mine drainage <laughs> mine drainage forms from a chemical reaction between water and rocks containing sulfur bearing minerals yeah and then the resulting waters become rich in sulfuric acid which i'm sure is just great for everything that's around <laughs> and dissolved iron and as the res iron settles out of the water it can form red orange or yellow sediments in the bottom of these streams <laughs> so that the acidic runoff further dissolves heavy metals such as your copper lead mercury into groundwaters on surface water yeah so on that note i remember the day i was running the mass spec at uta and our lead like under researcher of Basu was like, you got to come quick. And so like Basu had us all like trying to like correct his speech because I think it was like the national NBC news came in and there was like this big tailings mine spillage in Colorado and the, the river had turned like yellow. Yeah. And so they interviewed Basu for whatever reason. I don't know. But they were like, how would you fix this? There's there's multiple ways to fix this. I yeah. don't know if we really go into it, but I had to learn it for the dang test. But he was like, dilution is the solution. <laughs> He's like, just let the river do its thing. Yeah. Really? And I mean, you know, it, that is a way. Yeah. I, and yeah. I'm, because, I, because that, that was probably just like a one off like event, right? That, that it was very odd. Yeah. It was like they were reclaiming an old mine kind of thing. Okay. And I think they broke through somewhere where there was water was holding behind it or I don't know. Anyways, a little cool story. Of yeah. That. Yeah. That, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. But yeah, no, it, it is off. It's offsetting. Like you can, like if you just look at a picture of a river, but like it's when it's compared to a, <laughs> a non-polluted source. It's yeah. like, holy shit. Oh yeah. That's I mean, it's like, like bright it, yellow. In like, orange. Yeah. It's like this orangey <laughs> red. Like, but because most of the times they just show like pictures of just like 
it just looks like I don't know red dirt. Yeah, like you know this oxidized layer, but, but like it when it's like continuously being yeah. leached into it. Yeah, absolutely. In the rate and degree by which acid mine drainage proceeds, it can be increased by the action of certain bacteria. Yeah. Um. So, uh, acid it's generated at mine sites when metal sulfide minerals are oxidized. Metal sulfide minerals are present in the host rock, and they're associated most 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 of the metal mining activity prior to mining. Oxidation of these minerals and the form formation of sulfuric acid is a function of natural weathering processes. Yeah, and then what we see is the oxidation of undisturbed ore bodies followed by release of acid and mobilization of metals is slow. Mm -hmm. And then the discharge from such deposits poses little threat to receiving aquatic ecosystems. Extraction and uh, beneficiation operations associated with mining activity increase the rate of these same chemical reactions by exposing large volumes of sulfide rock with increased surface area to air and water. Yeah, so the oxidation of the sulfide mineral consists of several reactions. So mm -hmm. each sulfide mineral has a different oxidation rate. So for example, marcosite and framboidal pyrite will oxidize yeah. quickly with crystalline pyrite will oxidize slowly. So for the discussion purposes, the, the oxidation of pyrite or FES2 um, will be examined. So the, the chemistries uh, behind this goes a little something like this. So you have two pyrite, so two FES2, right? Mm -hmm plus two H2O plus seven oxygens, O2. And then it has a chemical reaction of, and it releases what the, the four hydrogen ions, mm -hmm. uh, four sulfur ions, polyatomic ions, and two ferrous <laughs> ions, the, the two Fe2 plus. Right. And just, I like the word framboidal. So if you're if you're unfamiliar with that crystal crystallization habit, it looks like little raspberries. Yeah. And it's really, really unsettling when you're looking at like a SEM and you see this like, what, why? Yeah, it's like, but it's more, <laughs> Of the on the microscopic scale, right? It is, yeah. Like I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't see that in like a visual, like a, a cubic, visible, no, yeah, no. or the or yeah. the dodecahedron type of, uh, yeah, yeah. I love those. Yeah, those, those are, are awesome. cool. Okay, so I'll get back to our little chemical reaction. Yeah, okay? the, the chemistries. Yeah. <clears throat> so in the next step, sulfur is oxidized to form hydrogen ions and sulfate, the dis disassociation products of sulfuric acid in solution. Soluble uh, Fe2+, it's also free to react further. Oxidation of the ferrous iron to ferric iron occurs more slowly at lower pH levels. So on this this particular reaction, you have 4 Fe2+, plus, plus O2, plus four hydrogen, and that creates the product of four Fe3 plus to your ferric plus two uh, water. Atoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those ions. Yeah, yeah. At pH levels between 3.5 and 4.5, relatively acidic. Yeah. <laughs> um, iron oxidation, it's catalyzed by a variety of metal, <laughs> metallogenium. <laughs> it's a filamentous. Yeah. Filam a filamentous bacterium. Some of these, I mean, like we say all these like words strung together. Yeah. Like, so I find that in my lectures too. Like I, I, I get these words mixed up and I'm like, where did that accent come from? I'm I like, know. Oh, war, war, what in the world? I know. Oh, so, but yeah, so below a pH of 3.5. So now we're getting like uh, pretty acidic. Cause like, oh it's weird. It's the, the, the negative log of uh, hydrogen ions. So the, the smaller yeah. the number, it's a negative log. So you're actually having more hydrogen hydrogen ions in there and that's why it's less and no one knows why yeah like there's calculations but like why did they do it that way i don't know someone with a brain yeah but <laughs> i think it makes it i don't know it's counterintuitive if you think of something as one you wouldn't necessarily unless you were intuitive you know it's not intuitive yeah. that that means that it's acidic i would assume no, that no, it's no. like basic but right. anyway so the the same reaction is catalyzed by the iron bacterium the theobacillus mm -hmm. uh ferrooxidans um yep. 
So other bacteria are capable of catalyzing the reaction. You know, they can include various other things such as like the ferroxidins, the theoxidins, the neoplatanus, dentrificans, novellus. Anyways, there's a whole slew of different bacteria that can catalyze this reaction. So in the in the ferric ion is formed in contact with pyrite, the, the following reaction can occur dissolving the pyrite. So you can have the two FES2 plus mm -hmm. 14 Fe3 plus ions and eight I, uh, water molecules. And that produces the, the 15 ferrous Fe2 plus plus two sulfates and then 16 hydrogen ions. So you're getting even more acidic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the dissolution of pyrite by ferric iron, it's in conjunction with the oxidation of the ferrous iron constitutes basically a cycle of dissolution of pyrite, right? Yeah. And so ferric iron will precipitate as hydrated iron oxide. And it's indicated by, you would, you would observe the equation by Fe3 plus. So you have your ferric plus three water. And then you, this equation is in equilibrium, right? Yeah. So it's going both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have um, your Fe OH3 plus three hydrogen. So then you have your FeOH3, it precipitates and it's identifiable as a deposit of amorphous yellow or orange or red deposits at this on the stream bottom. Yeah, and I think this is called yellow boy is what they call uh, them. Yellow yeah. boy? <laughs> no, but it's the yellow boy. So there's a, yeah. in Oklahoma, there's like this, I don't know, story of kids playing in, I don't know, lime green oh, uh, man. pools of this stuff. But in just the dust of whenever, I don't know, of lead, that was, anyways, never mind. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so other sulfide minerals will include marcasite, which is a nice, another form of uh, kind of pyrite. It's just a different crystal structure, right? Yeah. So a polymorph. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Chalco pyrite would be, um, you would, it would be copper in with the iron and, and sulfide. So it's copper iron sulfide. Yeah. And then we have the, the chalcosite, which is the C2S. Yeah. Like, so two coppers and, mm -hmm. uh, and a sulfur. And then we have sphalerite, which I is a zinc sulfide. Somewhere, I thought. No, I don't have sphalerite here. Oh, I do. I do. That's right. I'll bring it next time. Okay. Just because. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you have Galena, which is PBS. It's and Channel you can 13. watch that, yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, Angela's name, Anagram. Oh, really? Galena. Oh, Angela. okay. Angela. Yeah, it is. Uh -huh. Is it? A-N-G-E-L-A. Yeah, look. Well, it's not really. Yeah, you can spell it Angela with Galena. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought anagrams had to be like the reverse. No, that's a... What is what, that? Palindrome. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Race car. Um, Radar. But... Okay, so you can watch Galena on Channel 13. Yeah. Okay. Millerite. Millerite. Uh, you hey, can, that was a Mineral Minute. Minute. It was. That was it sponsored. Was. That's a sponsored mineral it right was. there. They are uh, highly regarded here, and that is nickel sulfide. Nickel right? sulfide. Uh, perotite. Perotite mm -hmm. uh, is Fe1S. I don't know. Yeah, is. where X, I think, is like some kind of weird number. Yeah, it but can so, be whatever. Yeah, between a certain value. Yeah. I have to remember not to chew ice on when we're filming this i don't know and we're not <laughs> filming it we're recording it <laughs> maybe one day yeah one day and so then just a few other so other sulfide minerals is <laughs> arsenopyrite which is f-e-a-s-s -S. and then we have cinnabar which is h-g-s which is mercury yeah and if you'll notice a lot of these are very toxic yeah especially the last two yeah, yeah. and realgar which is oh, arsenic yeah, yeah, sulfide yeah. and then you have orpiments which is oh, as2s3 yeah. realgar was always the red one orpiment was the yellow one and then it like one weathered into the other one right yeah and that's a pseudomorph when they morph into <sighs> it each is other. yeah so like and like limonite can be a pseudomorph of pyrite yeah because of the like you can have iron yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so it's weird so like i feel like 
reading, we're going through mineralogy, like it, with the, all the sulfide minerals. Dude, Do you remember? M- mining geologists are the best mineralogists. I'm sure that they have to yeah, be kind absolutely. of, sort of. So, but so there's also back to the, the main discussion. So there's this potential for the mine to generate acids and release contaminants is dependent on many factors and is site specific, like we mentioned. So the, the factors can be either primary, they can be secondary, or they could be tertiary. And, and these factors control the acid drainage. And they provide a convenient structure for organizing the discussion of acid formation in the mining environment. The primary factors will involve production of the acid, such as oxidation reactions. Secondary would act as a control of the products of the oxidation reaction. And then such as uh, reactions with other minerals that, that consume the acid. Mm-hmm. Right. And secondary factors, they can either neutralize acid or react with other minerals. And then lastly, the tertiary factors, they refer to the physical aspects of the waste management unit. So for example, like your pit walls, waste rock piles or tailing impoundments and that those influence the oxidation reaction, migration of the acid and then consumption. Right. And then other downstream factors, the, the the character of the drainage by chemical reactions or the dilution. So these downstream factors are beyond the scope of what we're going to be talking about here. And, you know, maybe we'll leave, you know, the, the door open for another episode yeah. down the road. But right. Right. So the primary factors of acid generation, they'll include sulfide minerals, water, oxygen, ferric iron and bacteria to catalyze the reaction and generate heat. Yeah. So that's something that uh, it's one of those things like you don't think about until you start, you know, looking into it, but some sulfide minerals are more uh, really easily oxidized. For example, the the framboidal pyrite, marcasite, and uh, the pyrite, pyrite, which may have a greater impact on timing and then also the magnitude during acid prediction analysis compared to other metal sulfides. Also important is the physical occurrence of the sulfide mineral. So, mineral, um, (laughs) mineral, mineral, mineral. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is true because well crystallized or the proper way. Yeah. The only way, if you're me, is you hedral. You would say that. You wouldn't say well crystallized. Yeah. Well, I guess you could. Yeah. It could be different. I don't know. I think it would need to be hyphenized, well crystallized. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Well, so they're going to have smaller exposed surface areas than those are the, that are disseminated. That was such a, a Brian Braggins. That was a bag, Braggins. 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> you mean you <laughs> Remember <hedral>? when you... <laughs> that, was, that was you and me in mineralogy. Oh, we're dude, like, we were the nerdiest. No, the nerdiest. <laughs> <laughs> do I still have all my note cards, dude? I have like, they're like that. I like, never used note cards. Oh, really? I don't know how. I don't know how either. Dude, I have like, if I, 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 if I can find my uh, spiral notebook, dude, I would write them just over and over, just like forced memorization. Dude, I would write, dude, there's pages yeah. of writing like Arsenal pirate arsenal pirate i would do that like i did it for the for the the licensing test but in school i didn't i i don't know i was lazy i no i took it i mean like i was like like, you're like i'm not doing this again yeah i'm not (laughs) changing my major yeah yeah, finally found then no yeah it was a challenge but yeah so then then so what you were saying with euhedral minerals, like, right, <clears throat> so being exposed, you know, the surface areas and blah, 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 blah. So then we add the secret ingredients of water and mm. oxygen and boom, you have the necessary recipe to generate acid drainage. Right. And, and here water will serve as both the reactant and a medium for bacteria. So that ferrobacillus, whatever. Yeah. No, is that, how do you say it? Thala, thalia, bacillus, ferro, I don't know. Yeah. The, it's the iron reducing the bacteria. Theobus- Bacillus Theos Paris. I never know how to say that. I see it. Like we we have that problem in our dams, actually, like with iron rich 
clay minerals. Oh yeah. It's really weird and annoying. Actually pyrite's a big part of that too. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So the, the bacteria in the oxidation, uh, process, it needs that water. So it transports also the, the oxidation products. <clears throat> nice. Yes. And then, uh, a ready supply of atmospheric oxygen is also required to drive the oxidation reaction. So oxygen here is particularly important to maintain the rapid bacterially catalyzed oxidation at pH values below 3.5. And then the, the oxidation of sulfides is significantly reduced when the concentrations of oxygen in the pore spaces of mining waste units is less than one or two percent. And we know different bacteria are better suited at different pH levels in other edific factors. <laughs> what, is what is that? So fancy word. So yeah, you're you Brian Braggins for that. I think that's the word of the day that edific. So meaning factors that pertain to the chemical and physical characteristics of the soil and water environments. Yeah, right. And uh, the type of bacteria. Oh, no. You hedral edific. <laughs> Eat a fick, God. <laughs> you go eat a fick. It's like, I don't, yeah. You, you fit a ick. I don't know. It just sounds like phallic to me. I, I know, know. So eat a fick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the type of bacteria and their population sizes change as their growth conditions are optimized. So some of the bacteria involved in catalyzing the oxidation reactions. Yeah. And their growth conditions. So I, I like when I think of the bacteria suited for their, their environment. Yeah. I think of like grand prismatic springs. Like, you know, the, the, the thermophiles that live in that really hot water and those yeah, different yeah. colors are the different, I guess, bio environment, you know, yeah, the, the different yeah, right. ecosystems of the different bacteria. And those surprisingly mm-hmm. either hot, but they are uh, mineral rich and they're super acidic. Yeah. Like somebody idiot, like, like <laughs> put his shoes and wallet on the side and he jumped in and then there was just oh nothing God, left of his body because he just dissolved in that thing. No, thank you. So yeah. So then let's not forget the oxidation reaction is exothermic, <clears> what you were saying yeah. earlier but with the heat. So with the potential to generate this really large amount of heat and therefore creating thermal gradients within uh, this unit. Yeah. So so heat from these reactions are dissipated by thermal conduction or convection in the, you know, the surrounding yeah, yeah. materials. <clears throat> Research on waste, ro- waste rock using stability analysis, it indicates that convective flow can occur because of the high porosity of the ma- material. Yeah, and convection cells can form in waste rock that would draw in atmosphere spheric air and it would continue to drive the oxidation reaction process. Huh. So mm. I mean, it kind of relates to what we did talked about last one, but in a different environment. This, <laughs> yeah. This, this atmospheric and, air in yeah. and out. This continues. That so, was so cool with the like the candle. Yeah, yeah. The blowing cave. <laughs> yeah. The blowing cave. <laughs> So convection gas flow due to oxidation of sulfide minerals. I'm telling you, it was, it was Gollum with the mm-hmm, rain. It was mm-hmm. blowing people in the cave. But the convection <laughs> gas flow due to the oxidation of sulfide minerals depends on the maximum temperature in the waste rock itself. And then the maximum temperature depends on ambient atmospheric temperatures so that the, the, the strength of the heat source and the nature of the upper boundary is kind of awkward sentence. <laughs> So convection convection gas flow due to oxidation of sulfide minerals depends on the maximum temperature in the waste rock. And the maximum temperature depends on ambient atmospheric temperatures, strength of the heat source, and the nature of the upper boundary. So if the, the sulfide waste is concentrated in one area, as is the case with encapsulation a lot of the times, what we would expect to see is the heat source potentially being pretty strong. And secondary factors act as either to neutralize the acid produced by the 
oxidation of sulfides, or it, it may change the effluent character by adding metal ions mobilized by residual flu residual acid. Yeah, actually. dude, pretty yeah. nasty stuff. Like in the the metals in the, yeah. the water. So yeah, neutralization of acid by the alkalinity released when acid reacts with carbonate minerals mm. is an important means of modeling acid yes. production. Yes. So so the most common neutralizing minerals are calcite and dolomite, and we see this in a buffering system. <laughs> yeah. So you can just set up little buffering dams. Yeah. So this is what I'm actually doing a uh, buffering lab on my oceanography on Thursday. Really? Yeah. So okay. what we do is we do like the sulfuric acid and we dump it through like this huge, I guess, beaker. Or it's not a beaker, but it's this tube, glass tube that has just granite chips in it. Okay. And it, it's got an indicator in it. So, but it just stays the same color all yeah. the way through it. But then we put it through limestone chips and it goes and it changes all the way the colors yeah, of the rainbow. Yeah. So then at the bottom of it, it's just, it's, it's nice. It's pretty cool. <laughs> cool. I would like to see that. Yeah, I'll show you. Cool. I'll, I'll take yeah. I'll take yeah. videos. Yes. So back to what we mentioned was that like the common neutralizing minerals are calcite and dolomite. Yep. But products from the oxidation reaction, so you have your hydrogen ions, your metal ions, they may also react with other non-neutralizing constituents. The possible reactions include ion exchange on clay particles, gypsum precipitation, yeah. and dissolution of other minerals. Yeah, and then the, the dissolution of other minerals contributes to the contaminant load in the acid drainage. So examples of metals occurring in the dissolved load include aluminium, <laughs> Manganese, copper, lead, zinc, and other metal ions. Uh, then on to those tertiary factors. Yep. So they're going to be the physical characteristics of the material, how acid generating and acid neutralizing materials are placed, uh, waste, and then the hydrologic re regime in the vicinity. Yeah, so let's let's break that down a little bit. So the, the, the physical nature of the material, such as the particle size, the permeability, which connected flow through the pore spaces, right? And then the physical weathering characteristics are really important to the acid generation potential. Fundamental to this is the particle size. The concerns that the particle size affects the surface area exposed to weathering and oxidation. And yeah, really, this is really because what the, the, the surface area is inversely proportional to the particle size. So what that means is that very coarse grain materials, as what is typically found in waste dumps, exposes less surface area, but may allow air and water to penetrate deeper into the unit, exposing more material to oxidation and ultimately producing more acid. Air circulation in the coarse material, it's aided by wind, it changes in barometric pressure and possibly... caves. <laughs> yeah, I know. And possibly <laughs> convective gas flow caused by the heat generation generated. In contra contrast, <laughs> fine grain material may retard air and very fine material may limit the water flow. However, the finer grains, they expose more surface area to oxidation. Yeah, and then these, these relationships between particle size, surface area, and oxidation play a role or a prominent role in acid prediction methods. So as materials weather with time, the particle size is reduced, exposing more surface area and changing physical characteristics of the unit. And though though difficult to weigh, each of these factors really influence the potential for acid generation and therefore important considerations for the long term. The hydrology of the area surrounding mine workings, um, it's also important in the analysis of acid generation potential 
potential. When acid generating material, it, it occurs below the water table. Uh, slow diffusion of oxygen in water will retard the acid production. So this is really going to be, I guess, reflected in the portions of pits and underground workings located below the water table, like you mentioned. So mm -hmm. where the mine walls and underground workings extend above the water table, uh, the flow of water and oxygen in joints may be a source of acid. A similar relationship is evident in the tailings, which those are typically fine-grained and disposed of subaqueously. The slow diffusion of oxygen, it'll, it inhibits the formation of acid. Mm -hmm. However, since the, you know, the tailings are placed either in raised or valley impoundments, they're, they're likely to remain saturated only for a limited period of time. So that, you know, they're not, they're at higher topographic areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the following mine closures, the, the free water surface in the impoundment may be drawn down substantially favoring AMD conditions. <clears throat> so the, it's really the spatial distribution, if you will, of the mining waste in units or waste placements affects the, really the generation potential. Yeah, and, and for example, the, the distribution of acid generating waste with neutralizing waste may be controlled by the stacking sequence. So calcareous material may be mixed or placed above the sulfitic waste so that that's that buffering um, yeah yeah because it's severely alkaline right yeah and it provides that alkalinity and it to infiltrating solution prior to contact with the acid generating waste yeah so the the an alternative to layering or mixing is encapsulation so <clears throat> this technique attempts to isolate acid generating waste from oxygen and water thereby it's really I guess what you would say what uh, reducing its potential to produce acid so it's but it, it I believe it's unclear if encapsulation is is feasible over the long term. So wetting and drying cycles in any of the, the mine workings or other waste management units uh, really seem to affect the character of any acid drainage produced. Frequent wetting, it'll tend to generate more constant volume of acid and other contaminants as water will move through. It'll flush the oxidation products out of the system. The buildup of contaminants in the system, it's proportional to the length of time between these wetting cycles. Huh, I like that word, proportional. Yeah, me too. So as the, the length of the dry cycle increases, the oxidation products will tend to accumulate in the system. So really a, a high magnitude wetting event will flush accumulated contaminants out of the system. <clears throat> and this relationship is typical of, uh, I guess, overall the increase in contaminant load observed following heavy precipitation for those areas having a wet season. Yeah. 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 So you're, we, I guess the takeaway is there are programs in place. There's, there's things you can do to reduce AMD. Yes. But they're not practiced well. Um, and, and there needs to be a refinement of, you know, how to use and when to use certain remediation. Yeah, right. And I I feel like when the mines are active, like yeah. there is like at least some kind of oversight. It's whenever they're like, okay, this is no longer viable. Then they're just like, well, <laughs> Uh, I guess we're just going to close this up yeah. and then it just sits there and then it there's does. no room. And then that's what we're seeing like a lot of with the, I guess, Superfund sites. Well, I guess that's been defunded, right? Superfund, all yep. of that. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, you just hear of like all of these things, like what you mentioned with Basu, like they start to do something and then it just starts contaminating and it's just this yeah. ongoing and it's all because of us and uh, freeing all this stuff. We're exposing these iron oxides, I mean, yeah. the, the iron the sulfides. Yeah, it's, it's a weird... Uh, 
concept because normally we talk about pollution in, while this is human induced, it's, it's human induced of something that's already there. Yes. And that we didn't already refine. And so that's like, it's just so crazy to me that, you know, it's just, if water will sit in an area, it'll just, these reactions occur and. And it's not to say that they wouldn't happen under normal conditions, but I feel like the. But the surface area of the rock is, is a different thing, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're already, you're, you're just, you've broken down small pieces of this gigantic ore body. And then that's what we talked about too. Yeah. And then you're concentrating all of that, the, the slag piles, the heaps. Yeah. And then the. And just letting them sit there. And just sit there and have that water percolate through them. And then, right. So the, but what they were saying, like with the, when they're bigger, like it, but the, it has the opportunity for that water to just percolate down further. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. That's just mind numbing. But I I think this is like much like anything that we, we do on the show that it's kind of just like this preliminary. Let's just, uh, let's just take a stab at it, see where it goes. And then uh, think about it more because I mean, it, it gave me a lot to think about just to, I just in general, like not having a well, I guess, deep footing in it. Like I knew it's a problem, but you know, it's definitely overshadowed by like, I don't know. Yeah. A lot of the other things that we've talked about on the show. No, I I agree. And I think that a point that came to my head was, you know, maybe some of our listeners are thinking what type of geology would they like to pursue? And mining geology is a a very lucrative field. It can be, be, you you do have to know your, like you have to be a real deal geologist. Yeah. But but but, you have to like formations and mineralogy and, and and, and structure the, absolutely too, all into of it. it but at the same time like it's exciting like the first half of this episode was for me very fun um because it's it's learning how these things form yeah the the other side of it which can also be very fun to know what to look for and especially if you have interest in environmental remediation right you have to know that the field you go into has always has the, the yeah. this side of it right <laughs> yeah so I mean it's like the the yin and the yang right yeah. so like with oil and gas like you know I I studied the yeah the, like the the good the exciting like the exploration and like why how can we look for this and blah 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 but the other side is, is that you all, we all know what the other side is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this, this isn't far off, you know, like it, it, there are severe environmental concerns with yeah, and uh, it's, it's heavy harsh, metal mining. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. And then, cause like you think of like, oh, what do I care if there's lead in the water? Well, well, well with children, <laughs> what, what, with children, what happens is you don't have that blood brain barrier and then you get lead poisoning and it leads to a decrease, severe decrease in cognitive ability. Yeah, so you yeah. have like mental retardation uh, a whole slew of problems like so in Oklahoma what I was talking about yeah. earlier is like there was this town that was just blanketed when they were um, you know years and years and then it was a super fun f- site and then it like kind of fell through but what they saw is like people were making their foundations and their driveways out of these like the <laughs> the the slag like the heat piles yeah and then just kids playing in the dirt and swimming in these these things anyways and then there's like in schools like it was like bam yeah. it showed up people were like what is going on so when wow. I also think like you can think of too like the 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 lead in the pipes up in in um, Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Like so the high elevated lead levels are gonna lead to this environmental concern. Absolutely. It's kind of like, but I don't it's not necessarily acid mine is draining. Well, but it's all that toxicity, right? The heavy yeah. metals, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I, I agree. I enjoyed it. Hopefully y'all enjoyed it out there. Yeah. Let's see. Should we close it off like we normally do, even though we don't have something? Yeah. Heavy metal. We can, you know, I, I have an idea. Okay.
Hi, this is That Freaking Rocks. That Freaking Rocks. If you didn't know by the intense epic intro there. Yeah. Um, wow, wow, wow. So, so we, we mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. We really want this. We wanted this season to be local DFW bands. Yeah. Last last season was post rock, so we're we're gonna be on that. I have been very distracted. No, I and I feel like it's it's <laughs> it's the catching up. So I think it is. Well, first yeah. we you know we had a lot of headway. We had like you know three seasons, two seasons of like man we're hard charging. Then we had that awesome idea. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, some things will tail off, but uh, at least we have the episodes going. No, again. yeah, I agree. Um, but this week I thought we. We could talk a little bit about we you know if, if we don't have other bands to talk about we could talk about ours because we we're i don't know if, if you're just listening the first time um james plays in a band called mirror 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 and i play in a band called driving slow motion you have shows coming up i do and we do so yeah. i think not this friday but next friday october 22nd yes and then i i forget the other one it's in november but it's like uh, right after that but the, we're playing at the Ridgely Room, and yeah. uh, we got the solid time slot of seven thirty. Man, <laughs> dude, I mean that works for all adults. <laughs> no, it does. It does. You know, and so I'm excited about it because I don't have to stay there until not not yeah. not not that I would would complain about staying there, but the last show we played, it was kind of a bummer that every all the other bands left. Yeah, but there were still people there for you, which is a good sign. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I hate playing late. Like, then the well, one in November, there's a national act coming through. And oh. like we're, again, we got the 730 slot. Dude, hell but, yeah. But, you know, at least they're, they'll be there. Is but, that, where's that one? Uh, Reno's Chop Shop in, oh, really? in, in, in Dallas. Uh, okay. That I've I've heard really good things about that. Um, but okay. you have shows coming up too. I do. Um, I'm trying to think. We don't have anything this month. I wanted to do a, a spooky Halloween show. Yeah, we talked about that last week. I don't know. I don't know if I. Oh, oh, we're going to the recording studio that weekend. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, then maybe next year we'll do. We'll plan something ahead of time. Yeah. Okay. We're because we're, we're good at that with the, <laughs> the the beach cleanup. Yeah, which will will happen. Maybe we should play a show for the beach cleanup. Like so, we can rule. make play go play down in like uh, I could tack that in Houston. On. Yeah. Okay. Um, we do have a little tour thing planned for next year, and Houston's on that list. Nice. So, um, but as for the rest of the year for us, you know, we're we have three shows currently lined up. November twentieth, we'll be at Harvest House in Denton, and then December second at Tulips in Fort Worth, and then December fourth at the Far Out Lounge in Austin. Okay, say so, that December dates again. Uh, it was December 2nd and that's at Tulips in Fort Worth. And then, and then December 4th and at Far Out Lounge in Austin. So it was like a Thursday, Saturday. Yeah. Okay. We should honestly just book another show somewhere else. Yeah. The weekend, the night after, but Waco, maybe Waco. Maybe that'd be cool. Or, or you could play in Colleen and play for some uh, soldiers at Fort Hood. I mean, I would do that. Yeah. No. That'd that, be cool. That'd be cool. Well, I think little mini tours yeah. are, are cool. The but, only the coolest place I've been like on tour was, uh, it was, we played up in Kansas. Kansas? Kansas. Where? Salina. Really? <laughs> wow. And I, 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 I don't even know why this, I, if you could take it for what it is, but the, the toxic masculinity, I don't know. But I don't think it is that, but you know, so there was this, I don't know, drunk girl and I turned around <laughs> and I was tuning my guitar and I was the only person in the band that didn't see this girl, uh, flash us, wow. so, but she threw her bra on stage and okay. I kept it. Wow. That doesn't happen to us. This, this was like, Oh, maybe this, this was in like 
we're too old now. Like 12 years ago, that, like yeah. where it's just like, man, I don't even want to, I'm not even paying attention to you out there anymore. Like, like I don't I get it. nervous, but I'm not definitely not making yeah, eye contact no. with anybody. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, dude. And then let's say, um, dude, like when your show, I love the, the energy of like the, I, I will say if there was going to be a critique, y'all kind of uh, kind of sagged in the middle. I agree. Because you you had like super high energy. Yeah. And then it sagged. And then I knew when your set was over because that last song, y'all started like getting back into it. Yep. Like, I, we, we talked about that this week. I was like, there's three songs stacked together that are like really atmospheric and chill. Yeah. And I was like that. We can't have that. I mean, it wasn't bad. I was no, just like, I was just like, yeah. but from whenever y'all are just like all like in, 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 in unison, like just feeling it. And then it's just all of a sudden it was just like, I was standing there. I was like, I mean, it's not bad, but I'm just like, I'm noticing. I'm just like, okay, y'all, y'all yeah. just look a little bored. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, and it's not bored. It's just, it's not high. Like you said, high energy. It's a lot of real spaced out yeah. stuff. And but, but it's still intricate enough to, it's, it's interesting. It's not. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole thing. Uh, when you play live, you really have to dive into your set and what what do you want to portray to everybody? Yeah, just because something sounds good as you listen back on it digitally does not mean it's going to be go well live. Yeah, or not well, but it it won't have the impact that it would in another order. So we're, yeah, we 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 wrestle with that too. But you know, I I feel like. Uh, where y'all's is a little bit more dependent on that precision. Like yeah. you can't just be bouncing around the whole time. <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying? It's got to like, be calculated in, in a way, you know? Yeah. But like with the big open parts when you're all like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, but like, I don't know. I feel like with our kind of like genre, it's just like, I, I need to do more, but you know what I'm saying? I was like, so concentrated. I'm like, don't fuck up. Don't <laughs> fuck up. No, I mean, y'all's your stage presence was great. Like, and I like that your singer, like sometimes I feel like your singer will like punch somebody. Like it, she like has this energy of like, yeah. Oh. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, she was, I, I don't, I, I want to say that, uh, like, cause her husband, Justin, our bassist, mm -hmm. like came during our, our last pracky and he was like, uh, yeah. So like, like Jamie, she was like wondering, like, uh, like how are y'all are going to like engage the crowd? I'm like, that's not our job. No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, she needs to engage. The crowd. Yeah. Like, no one I was, else. I was like, that's not me. No, that, that is, that is, um, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's a when I, paw. when I hear any other band other than then like back in the day, Blink-182, two people engaging the crowd. Well, they both they, sang, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess they're both lead singers kind of, but your lead singer, that is like part of their duties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm saying like the faux pas being like, I'm not like the basses should have no reason to engage. No one the, else up there should have a mic unless they're singing harmony. Yeah. I, I'm, I. No one is, had a mic the last time. But, you're right. But, but it was just so quiet and you could yeah. hear We could just like talk to people. No, yeah. She, she's got to be the one. Yeah, Jamie. You hear that? You have to be absolutely the one. You can't be giving that to us because no, we'll, you don't. Don't let us take over. No, that, there's that, no need. There's no, no need. need. It's like, all you. Make people realize you're the face of the. Yeah, the band. you are the band. Yeah. Like what we do is just you're the other pieces. Yeah, you're we're the, the pieces other, that you're the other arms. We're and centered legs. around your voice. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So yeah, so I mean, I guess that will uh, close things out for another episode of Geology on the Rock. So yeah. um, I guess that I mean that's about it. So. We haven't really come up with an episode for next week, but uh, we'll, will. we will. <laughs> like this one came together quite nicely. Yeah, so. I like it. So I guess we will. Um, let me do one of these. Until next time, we remind you to be cool. Stay tuned. And keep it on, on the, the rocks. rocks. Yeah. I like how cold always makes, makes presents.
I don't even remember what the word was I couldn't say. Cowball. <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah, you promise false bad fatty gar <laughs> Waxygen. <laughs> what? Yeah. Sulfide mineral. So mineral. Um, <laughs> mineral. Mineral. mineral? Raw walk, walk, <laughs> raw walk, <laughs> y'all <Yeah>, raw walk. <laughs>